Good morning, everybody. I ever make a mistake but not realize it until you're in the thick of this, like a moment? I should not preach in a sweatshirt. It'll be a great weight loss plan for today, but um, I am going to burn up today. So just toss out the thoughts and prayers over Pastor Dave's uh, air conditioning uh, inside the sweatshirt. I'm already baking. Welcome. If you're brand new with us, my name is Pastor Dave. I'm the pastor of K-First, and I'm using a new microphone that I've never used, so we're adjusting it here. Um, but I'm excited that you've joined us for worship, that you have decided to come and just celebrate the goodness of Jesus Christ. I greet everybody online, uh, those watching throughout the week. I just, I love that you are here. We're in a series called Plot Twist. We're talking about Samson. And we are going to give you everything that Sunday school did not give you about Samson. I think everybody wants me to highlight, you know, he just, he beat down a thousand people with the jawbone of a donkey. That will come up. Um, he smashed pillars, you know, he, he beat Hulk Hogan, all of these type of things. And uh, we're going to dive into really the nitty gritty of Samson and talk through this story that has incredible plot twists and has a lot for us to glean from and to learn from. So I... So to me, when it comes to Sundays, we ought to be learning or being reminded of something. And so I'm going to give you a new word. I love like word of the day stuff. I love it. Every once in a while, my family will hear me use a word and they're like, did you learn a new word today? I'm like, absolutely I did. And I just overly use it and then they don't want to hear it ever again. But let me give you a, a new word here. The word is fossic. F-O-S-S-I-C-K. Fossic. Now, how many of you know what the word fossic is or you use it randomly or frequently? This is amazing. I'm going to teach you something today, which I was hoping to do anyways, but this is just a little bonus here. Fossic is a fun English word. It is a verb that suggests treasure hunting, but in an unsystematic or random manner. One dictionary defines it as to search for gold or gemstones, typically by picking through over, uh, over abandoned workings. The word is ultimately generally used to, uh, to mean to look for something in a disorganized way. For example, when I lose my car keys, there is nothing organized by how I am looking because if I would be organized, I would usually check my right pocket because that's where they were at to begin with. Don't look at me like that. You do the same thing. Or how many of you, when you go to fix something or you're working on a project in the house, like, if you weren't doing the project, the screwdriver that you needed, the specific one, it, you already know where that's at until you actually need it, and then all of a sudden you go to look for it. It's like those, you know at Home Depot, those little paint can, little flipper opener thingers? Yes, I'm very technical. You can tell how toolsy I am. Um, they give those away at Home Depot, not at Lowe's. Lowe's, what is up with you? So... I got every time I go to Home Depot and they give them out free, I never say I already have one because they're free. Why wouldn't I want another? This is who I am. But whenever I need to open up a paint can, guess what I can't find? The 50 of them that I own, and when do I see them is whenever I don't need them. So whenever I am looking around, I fossick around for them. It is looking around and trying to find something in a disorganized way. And sometimes my wife, my wife will look at me. She's like, what are you looking for? I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm looking for my keys. Have you checked your pocket? Or how many of you have been looking for your glasses and your glasses are? You know, you, all right, now we're leveling the playing field here. You're less judgy about me having issues. Fossick around. There's just something about when you're looking for something, actually asking for help. 
How many of you, can you admit here, you struggle asking for help from people? Five of you. The rest of you are lying through your teeth. Now, I'll admit, when I walk around the store, like, I walk around like I know where I'm going because there is a satisfaction about finding it yourself. But again, very disorganized. And when you think, I mean, Ethan has said this to me numbers of times. How much time would we save if you actually asked for help? How quick would we actually, but there's nothing more than satisfaction of actually doing it yourself. But Fossick, you're looking around, you're disorganized. Because there's something about asking for help for which that, there's something about community. Something about somebody coming alongside of you that helps make a job that might be strenuous or stressful or hard for one person. That all of a sudden adding one more body, adding a couple more bodies, adding a handful of people around your life automatically makes you better. It's like one of my favorite movies in recent memory is a movie called Miracle. It's a great gospel movie. And by the way, if you're new here and I say gospel movie or gospel band, don't take that literally. I've had a few people like, I heard you watch Band of Brothers. You said that's a gospel series. I'm like, oh, wait, 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 wait. And that's just something I say during sermons. But I love the movie Miracle. The movie Miracle is about the 1980 uh, hockey team that won the gold medal in the Olympics. They beat the Russians. They beat the team that nobody thought anybody could ever beat. And the idea was we don't need a star on the team. We need a team. And in the kingdom of God, I think sometimes we are so busy. It sounds like I'm cussing. Fossicking around. Disorganized. Scurrying through life because we think God is expecting something of us that we can do on our own. Ladies and gentlemen, you're not here to do anything on your own. You're here, first of all, you need Christ in your life. Life was never meant to be done apart from Christ. And secondly, you were never meant to develop your life in Christ apart from other people. You need people. And yet there is a term that has become very popular over the past 20 years. That, is, that we use a lot in the church, and the word is community. We need community. But what I hear from people, especially when they are, we'll use this term. This is a fun term that pastors don't think is very fun whatsoever. We're church shopping in the moment. How many right now are church shopping? Don't, don't, don't raise your hands. And we all know what it is. Like, I remember moving into Springfield, Missouri, where I was going to college, and I wanted to find an Assemblies of God church, and the, the Springfield, Missouri is the headquarters for the Assemblies of God, and at that point, there were 60 Assemblies of God churches in one city. For reals. I could attend a different church every single week and not exhaust, in a year's time, all of the Assemblies of God churches, and right now, there's more than that. It's crazy. But when it comes to church shopping, I hear from people, hey, we moved into town, we're looking for a church. Hey, we just left the church and the church is, oh, don't need to know that, don't need to know that, what, what can I help with? But what I hear is we are shopping for, we are searching out community. And I want to present a main thought today that I want to challenge us as the body of Christ with. For anybody watching online, anybody that's present, I want to challenge you with this thought and we're going to repeat it at the end. Stop shopping for community and start building it. Stop shopping for community and start 
building it. We have created such a consumeristic, driven church culture that the church has to give me what I'm looking for as opposed to showing up, being a part of the church, and building that which is part of a healthy church community. We have consumeristic uh, uh, endeavors. We're looking for the perfect fit. But I wonder, I wonder, I wonder if we can get people that are looking for the perfect fit to actually be the perfect fit if we would find the perfect community that we actually need. We need community. And that's what brings us to the book of Judges. We're in the book of Judges, and today I'm going to read in a few minutes, Judges chapter 15, verse 11. But Judges 13, we started off talking about the birth of Samson, that when, judge, when he was born, uh, I should say before he was born, before he was even conceived, an angel told his parents, hey, you're going to conceive a son, he's going to be a judge, he's going to be separated, and he's going to be different from everybody else. The Spirit of God is going to be with him and upon him, he's going to help set free the people of God. And there are three standards that he's got to live up to. Do you remember the three? Don't cut your hair. Why? Because there needs to be an outside symbol of an inward commitment. That will preach all day long. Outward sign in our life showing the inward commitment. Secondly, he doesn't need to eat or drink anything connected to the vine. In other words, don't drink wine. Stay away from alcohol. Why? We want him to have a focused mind and a focused, uh, and a focused vision. And then thirdly, don't touch anything dead. Why? Because a dead carcass would make somebody unclean. It would separate them from God. And so don't touch or go near anything that's dead because we want an unbroken connection to God. So that was Judges chapter 13. But as we talked about a couple weeks ago, is that he began to compromise his life. He began to say things like, this is what I want. This is what I can handle. This is what I deserve. And he began to compromise his life. See, most of us in this room think that we fall away from God because of one decision. I grew up scared I was going to fall away in my relationship with God. Like one decision and life was like Jenga. I get knocked down and then, and then it's a mess that God's got to clean up. But we don't fall away from God by simply one decision. I believe we do it because of patterns of decisions of turning away and going our own direction. And so what we have here is we've got the story of Samson where Samson has found community in a place that he should not have found community. And we get the hint of where he found it in Judges chapter 14, verse 1, because it says this. He says he went to the city of Timnah. Timnah is a Philistine city. And now he is supposed to be a champion of champions. He is what the Bible and, and many people will call the strongest man who had ever lived. Samson, and what I truly believe, I don't think he had much of a, of a physique, I think he just was empowered by the Spirit of God. And so he was strong. He was a champion. And so when Israel heard that he was going down to Timnah, I bet you they're all like, this is where he starts to set us free. Here's where he starts to live up to his calling. But he didn't go down to Timnah to confront the Philistines. He didn't go down there to have conflict. But he went down there for community. He found community there. Now, I love Pastor Craig Rochelle. Man, I am popping like something that pops. I couldn't think of anything in the moment there. He, I love Craig Rochelle. He is the pastor of Life Church. They've got multiple churches. They've, they've actually come up with the YouVersion Bible app that many of you are using right now. It's free for everybody. It's because of Pastor Craig Rochelle and his leadership team. I love Craig. And something that he said years ago that I used to use in youth ministry, and it's this statement. Show me your friends, and I will show you your future. Now, 
I agree in part, and I, I know the spirit behind it because I've heard him preach on this, and I've heard him say this over and over and over over the past 15 years or so. Um, I think it's a great statement, but it almost comes off as if, if they're not a Christian, you shouldn't have a friend. If they're not following Christ, then you need to back away from them and not have friends that aren't Christ followers. And so I kind of rewrote it as if I know more than Craig, and I do not. But I rewrote it because I, wanted to re I want you to really catch the heart of what I know he's saying. I want to say it this way. Show me the community you draw from, and I will show you your future. I have friends everywhere. I have friends in different backgrounds, different places. I've got atheist friends. I've, I've got, uh, met a gentleman the other day. He's a Muslim man at um, our climbing community. And we just had some great conversation talking about the wall. I, I've got friends all over the place. But there is a difference between I've got friends and then there's the community and the group of people that I draw from. Because the people that you are drawing the most from, show me the people that you draw from the most and I will show you your future. I've had these talks with marriages over the years. Man, I have, I have walked through a lot of things with a lot of marriages. And man, I've, I've had conversations where I've said, listen, it's not wrong to have uh, single friends. You need your single friends. They need you. But if that is your community you're only drawing from, then you're, you are actually going to draw an idea and a mindset of singleness that will begin to affect your marriage. And people are like, no, that won't happen, that won't happen. All of a sudden, months later, they come, they sit down, and all of a sudden, because their community was in a different place, and that was the only community they drew from, all of a sudden, it began to affect their marriage and the way they looked at their spouse. I wrote it this way. The relationships you develop today will decide who you will become tomorrow. You want to grow your life. You want to further your life in, in terms of your growth in your relationship with Jesus Christ. What you want to become tomorrow, you start developing relationships today. You and I need people. To every introvert in the house, you need people. To every extrovert in the house, you don't need as many people. You know who you are. And yet we find ways to connect with one another, don't we? I've got a number of, of people in this church that uh, your spouse brought you to the church because the pastor likes football. I get that. It's one of the most common things. My husband's going to come to church because he heard you like football and he doesn't believe that you like normal stuff. I'm like, what does he believe about pastors? That we sit in a room and we just eat Rice Krispies and, and read a Bible. That's what my youth pastor used to say all the time. That's, that's, we have lives outside of that. Um, that's why I had trouble shaking the hand of an individual over here having a Green Bay Packer shirt on. So we're going to pray for deliverance after the service. But, but I remember our first conversation. We talked, I think we talked football. We talked sports. Um, he's a coach. And so there's just connections that I have made with people that ha has helped develop a little bit of community. That's why we have fantasy football for the church. We got fantasy NASCAR, which I still don't fully understand. I think I'd, I'd fail at that as well. Uh, but we find commonalities and we get connection. But the problem with commonalities is commonalities can link you together, but it doesn't necessarily give you community. And if we're not careful, commonality becomes the driving point of not what has connected you, but what you draw your life from. Let me give you an example of one that I've seen, especially over the past 10 years, with the rise of what's called the deconstruction movement. Is because we've gotten a group of people from the overall church that have gotten hurt in the church, 
and what they do is they've been hurt and they'll begin to voice things on social media. And when you voice those things on social media, it's rare that people rally to them that want to help heal them. Do you know who rallies to them? Is the other people who got hurt. There's an old adage, misery loves, oh yeah. Misery loves company. And what happens is they found a connection point and they found a hurt point and where community, community, yes, it's meant to connect you, but community should heal you. And what has happened over the years is I, I've watched angry people who have been hurt. And can, can we just be real? We've got to stop saying, and maybe we need to change the vernacular, that I got hurt by the church. I got hurt by the church. Can we rephrase that to say, I was hurt by people in church? There's a distinct difference because the church is the bride of Christ. The church is far beyond Kalamazoo First Assembly of God. We are united by Christ with other churches that where we stand on the truth of Jesus being the way, the truth, and the life. We stand on the truth of the scriptures. We stand on the truth of the Trinity. We stand with other churches. We're part of the big C. And so I believe there are people that have been hurt by people in the church, but not necessarily by the overall church. But the problem is, is all of a sudden that connection becomes their driving point and that hurt becomes the place for which they gather and that becomes the, that hurt becomes the place where they begin to draw from. So instead of getting healing for their hearts, their hurts go further down. Because of my own mental health and even some things, uh, issues of depression I've had in my life, I've learned to find people that, to connect with that, hey, you go through the same struggles. You get what I'm going through. And there's just something about finding connections. But I'm here to say that as much as I love those connections, they're not my community. Why? Because com connections bring you together, but community helps heal you. And there are times that I find people, the people I surround myself when I'm going through my dark moments are not those that, that know my journey as much as they know me and more importantly, they know Jesus. And so commonality connects, community heals. Samson has found wrong community. Now let me give you some background on the Philistines. The Philistines, what they did was over the course of almost 200 years, they harassed or they oppressed the Israelites. So we're talking, I mean, America is almost 250 years old. Imagine that about two-thirds of the time of the existence of our country if we were being harassed by Canada. Some of you are snickering, like, what are they going to attack with? Tim Hortons and hockey sticks. I, I, I don't know. But for 200 years, they harassed Israel. They oppressed Israel. And they were really known for three things. I was really reading up on the Philistines and, and we're up down three things. They were known as being uncircumcised and what that meant was there was no relationship with God. So this makes sense when, especially when you uh, read the words of David. We talked about David a little bit last week um, during our transition out of worship. David, what did he say about Goliath, one of the Philistines? He said, who is this? uncircumcised Philistine. In other words, who is this person with no relationship with God, with no connection to Jehovah God, mocking the people of God? Who is this? And so that was the first thought I wanted you to, did you get it? Secondly, their warrior tactics. This was a warrior nation. And what was so particular about them is they were innovative, they were, they were masters of, of molding, shaping, and forging iron like no other nation of that time. 
nations bought their weaponry from the Philistines. They were innovative. Not just were they innovative, they were aggressive. If somebody was hurting, somebody had an opening, they were aggressively attacking nations, especially the Israelites around them, and then they were cunning. They would look for any little way to come in and to steal, to rob, to destroy. Sounds a little familiar from the New Testament, doesn't it? This is the Philistine, this is the Philistine group. And thirdly, I thought this was wild, they were infamous for their production and consumption of alcohol. I never knew this about the Philistines, and the reason why they know this is because as they have been excavating sites for which the Philistine people had come from, they were finding um, breweries, wine vats. Um, well, one, one guy said, we found a bunch of beer mugs. I'm like, I thought that was like, you know, like Germany or Oktoberfest or whatever, but they were infamous for not just their production, but their consuming. They had these week-long drinking parties and festivals that would that was just part of their culture. We, we, we drink for a week, probably sober up for a couple weeks, and we're going to have another one. And this was just the Philistine. And why does this matter? Because it actually adds into Judges chapter 14. It helps it make more sense. Because where do we find... Where do we find Samson? Samson is hunting for a wife. He goes down to the Philistines. He finds a wife. And he's, like, he's like, parents, get her for me. And it says, later on chapter 14, he began to set up the festival or the festivities for that. And, actually, and, and, and in Hebrew, the term for the festivities is the same term that we get for this. It is a week-long drinking party is all it is. He is stepping into the Philistine culture, and he's going to do things on their terms. Now, this is what you need to understand. The book of Judges, which I think is one of the more confusing books in the entirety of Scripture. Um, Judges is a challenging book. But if you want to know what a judge is, a judge has really three main tasks. Number one, to obtain justice for Israel in the face of their enemies. Number two, to drive out the oppressors. And three, bring salvation, rest, and peace for the land. Can I tell you what... What Samson's not doing? Samson is going down to the enemies not to drive them out, but to be closer to them. He is going down there not to bring salvation, but to actually get what he wants. And he's not giving Israel rest and peace in the land. He's giving himself what gives him rest and what gives him peace. Because when we look at this, we then look back at Samson's calling in Judges chapter 13, verse 5, that he is supposed to be born to rescue the people, to begin the rescue of the people from the Israelites. But that didn't happen. And the Philistines became his community. And that's why he's in Timnah. That's what we get in verse 10, Samson's wedding feast. He's at a drinking feast. And this is a week-long journey of people coming together, and all they're doing is they're celebrating, and they are just guzzling as much as they can. And so we get this clue of what's going on when we get to verse number 15, Judges chapter 14, verse 15, says, On the fourth day, on the fourth day of drinking, he gets an idea. He's not an angry drunk. He's probably just a, he's a dumb drunk. So I'm going to tell a riddle. And I'm going to get something from these people, and I'm going to make a mockery of them. And so he tells them this story, this riddle about drawing something sweet out of something mighty. What is he describing? He's describing what happened earlier when he killed the lion, and then he saw the carcass later on, and in the most disgusting, non-sanitary way, reaches inside the carcass where bees have made a hive, and he's eating honey out of a lion carcass. This guy has got issues. 
And so he tells it. And the Philistines, they, they know him. They've allowed him to come close, but they've allowed him to come close because they want to know how to defeat their enemy. Listen, the enemy doesn't want you close because he sees something in you. He wants to draw you close because he wants to humiliate you and destroy you. And so they bring him close and they begin to whisper to his brand new wife. Entice your husband to tell us the answer. Because if we can answer it, we owe him 30 garments. But if he can't answer, like if, if we answer it, he has to owe us the garments. And then they begin to threaten, if you don't do this, we're going to kill your family. What type of wedding festivities go on where this level of conversation has taken place? You're like, if there's not a death threat, it wasn't a good wedding. But this is what's going on here with the Philistines. And so she begins to entice him. She begins to ask. She begins to plead. She begins to beg. Please tell me. Please tell me. Please tell me. And if you know the story of, of Samson, you know this is a precursor to what will happen in the next chapter. And he ends up telling his wife the answer. And then she leaks it to the Philistines. And they show up. We know the answer. It's a lion. It's honey inside the lion. And he is so furious. He leaves his own wedding feast. Goes, beats up 30 people. Takes their garments. And then shows up and gives them. And he goes back to Israel leaving his wife and everybody. And then we get the craziest scripture. Because at the end of chapter 14. He leaves in anger. And his new father-in-law says, I think, I think my son-in-law is gone. I'm not sure if he's coming back. He looks at his daughter. You know what? Why don't we just marry you to his best man and all's going to be good. This is the stuff Sunday school didn't talk about. Who gives the bride away to the best man? Then Samson, this is what's great. He gets up and decides, I'm going to go visit my wife. How nice of him. I'm going to go visit my wife. And so he shows back up sometime later, and he visits. And he realizes his wife is no longer his wife. It was given away to his best man. And the dad's like, I don't know what to tell you. I thought you didn't want to come back. But here, let me give you my other daughter. She's much prettier than the other one. Could you imagine being the other one? And so Samson starts going ballistic. And what he does is he catches, wrap your head around this, 30 foxes. If you ever get mad at somebody, here's a way that you should not get back to them. I didn't want to word that in a weird way. That's a, but he catches 30 foxes. He ties them two by two by the tail, hooks a torch up to them, and sends them through the fields and the harvest barns of the Philistines. How insane is this? You've taken my wife... You taken the like you won the riddle, and now let me burn down all of your harvests. For which the Philistines, they see what happens, and they come right back at him and say, "Listen, you did this. Now we did this. You did this. How about this? We're going to draw up our armies to attack Israel." Do you see the levels of all of a sudden? You did this, I'm going to do this. You did this, I'm going to do this. And it's gotten to the point where Israel, their judge, their champion is Samson. This is what they do. They approach him with thousands of people. 3,000 men show up and they, you got to read it in the most hilarious voice. Um, excuse me, Samson, would it be okay if we turned you over to the Philistines and we called it good? 
could that be okay? Don't hurt us. We're your people, but guess what? You're an idiot and you keep doing dumb stuff. We're better off without you. It's literally what happened. And I love, look what Samson says. Judges chapter 15. Verse 11. 3,000 men of Judah went to the cleft of the rock at Edom. Said to Samson, do you know that the Philistine rulers are over us? What is this then that you have done to us? And there's Samson's reply. As they did to me, so I have done to them. As they have done to me, so I will do to them. What is Samson? Look at the mode and the progression. He has gotten innovative, he's gotten aggressive, and he's gotten cunning. He is living out what I believe is the fruit of his community that he has been pouring into. And if they got cunning, he got cunning. You're going to get aggressive, I'm going to get aggressive. And it has been this game of I got you last over and over and over. Have you ever had your kids in the back seat playing the game I got you last? If you've never had it, you need to get a couple kids in the back and play the game I got you last. And you're like, well, what is the game? The game is this. One person touches the other person. And then you try to keep away from them in the back seat. While you're both in seatbelts. For which the other person's got to get the other person back. And then, Dad, don't turn too quick. It'll push, him, it'll push me over that way. And you're literally, they're touching each other. But what happens in the back of the car? One person touched. The next person slaps. The next person punches. Then the shoe comes off and gets thrown across the back seat. That's welcome to the story of Samson. It is nothing more than I got you last. It is Samson living out. Instead of being the champion that says, listen, I'm going to take a stand against this group because they're the oppressors. He makes friends. And it's more than just a friendship. He makes them into his community. And he begins to respond in such a way that he is drawing from them the tactics of how to deal with them. Never once seeking the face of God. Never once leaning into the one that foretold his birth. The one that called him. Instead of doing it God's way, I'm going to do it my way. Well, Pastor David says that the Spirit of God rushed upon him. I'm here to say that God did things through Samson, not because of Samson, but in spite of Samson. And as we said two weeks ago, we cannot confuse the patience of God with the permission of God. We have to have community, and we have to know the community that we are drawing from, the people that we get life from, because we were never meant to do this thing on our own. We need, ladies and gentlemen, okay, first, I need you. And you need me. We need each other. We need, we need to be the iron that sharpens iron. We need community. But the problem is, is we don't always know what to look for community. Community is just simply this. It's people that love you unconditionally. They're for you. They're with you. They're intertwined in life. They lift you up when, they, when you're down. They fill you up when you're empty. They will tell you when you're wrong. They will confront you when you're wrong. Because without community in your life, you can never be what God has called you to be. I want to say that clear. Without you in my life, I cannot be what God has called me to be. And without others in your life, you can't be who God's called you to be. But the problem is, is we don't look for community. Community is important. What we end up looking for is probably two other groups. We look for, first of all, constituents. What's a constituent? A constituent is a, is a person where they're not necessarily into you. They're only into what you are for. 
They're not really for you. They are for what you do. They are for what you are for. And they will come across as if like, okay, yeah, you and I are on par. But the reality is, is that they're, they're not in it for you. They're in it for themselves. And only because you both are for the things that you are for. I watch people stay at churches just long enough until they hear something like, wait, that pastor is not for everything that I am for. So I have to go find other people that are for the same things that I am for. Uh, that's where when we allow politics in the church. We allow things within the church that can fragment us. If we're not careful, we're only linking up with people that are only for everything that we are for. And the problem with having constituents in your life is they will be close to you until they find somebody that can further their agenda and then they will leave you behind. And instead of looking for community, sometimes we're so busy looking for constituents, I need to find just people that are just for everything that I am for. This may shock you. In the body of Christ, we're not always going to agree on 100% everything. Case in point, the Green Bay shirt over to my left. <laughs> oh, thanks for letting me pick on you today. But not just constituents. Some people are looking for comrades. Comrades, they will join up with you because you are against the same things they're against. These are the type of people you want to take to a fight. You want to go fight with somebody? Find you a comrade. Don't find you a constituent. <laughs> find you a comrade. But so many of us were searching for community, but instead of finding the people that will speak into us, lift us up, call us, call things out in our lives, people that we can develop enough relationship with to feed one into the other and pour into each other. Sometimes we will surround ourselves with people who are only, they're only for what we are against. And all of a sudden we, we find ourselves not developing community within the body of Christ. We're actually developing factions. These people are for this. These people are against this. These people are for this. And, and we've got factions that happen within the church. And it's having, instead of having a united body that can see things different but agree on Jesus and agree on the scriptures, agree on the mission of God, we develop these factions and we develop denominations around those factions. And instead of having true community that should help up, uplift and fill all of us, we end up falling on our face because we're so busy chasing comrades and constituents. Understand this, we need community. I want to say it this way, your walk with God is a community project. You cannot become yourself by yourself. I am here today because of community. I'm here today because of, of a Kurt Demoff, a Gary Miller, a Judy Feeney, I'm here because of individuals in my life that have poured into me and I need more of that. There's a reason why I've joined a couple tables. It's not because I need to lead something else. I'm just going to tell you, the pastor doesn't need to lead anything else. The pastor needs community. We need people. And you cannot become yourself by yourself. Pastor, I'm just going to pull away from the church for a while to find myself. You know what? You're not going to find yourself. You're going to find yourself empty. You need community. And that's what this morning is all about. Paul Tripp says this. Self-sufficiency is one of the Satan's most destructive lies. We were hardwired for vertical and horizontal community. So God gives us himself and his church. Samson lost his calling. Not because he had friends and connections. Samson lost his calling because of where he drew his community from. Now hear my heart. And I'm going to ask Pastor Kevin to come on up. Hear my heart. Be a friend to everybody. In fact, be friendly to everybody. That would be a great time to amen. 
Be friendly to everybody. They don't deserve it. Doesn't matter. Be friendly. And you could be a friend. But know who is feeding your soul. What is the community that you are drawing life from? Because it's time to stop shopping for community. It's time to start building it. Pastor Kevin, I want you to come and I want you to share about our heart and how we want to build community. Hello, hello, there we go. Sorry about that. There's this button right here we don't have in the worship center or the kid ministry center. So I didn't realize that mutes me. So I apologize about that. That was my fault. But uh, as I've been able to step into my new role of spiritual formation pastor, um, one of the things that has been a, a big focus uh, of, of mine this, this year was looking at our tables and determining how we can get our tables to be built up and uh, really headed in a direction that will be sustainable and bring life to our community. And one of the cool things with our tables that we can celebrate this morning is that we came into 2022 with only two active tables. And a part of that was COVID because COVID caused us to, you know, shut some things down and like restarting things back up. But really coming into this year, we only had two active tables. And what we can celebrate this morning is that over the past 10 months, we're in October now, so 10 months in, we have 19 active tables currently going. Yeah, you can clap for that. It's an awesome celebration. And even more than that, we have about five more in the works that are being developed, being prayed about, being determined if they can, you know, make it happen when and, and when it might happen. Um, but that's, and this is a small sample size, that's an 850% increase from January this year. That's awesome. And we're thankful for this because K-First, it has struggled, to be honest with you, to develop a culture of small groups here in this church for some reason. And we are so thankful that God is moving in our community, that there is a growing trend in our community, and that the direction of K-First going forward is going to be built upon our tables. You know, it's our goal that everyone who calls K-First home that those who are truly invested in the mission and vision of K-First, who believe in the community here at K-First, that you would be a part of a table. And this goal isn't about us being to say we have an X number of tables going on or an X number of people a part of a table. This goal and vision's, this vision to see tables flourish isn't about the brand of K-First or the name of K-First. It's about seeing people truly find and follow Jesus better. We don't want K-First to simply be a place that you show up on Sunday mornings and, you know, get your fill for the rest of the week, but that what happens on Sunday morning is a catalyst for the rest of your week, where God can work in and through your life in a personal and relational way. Sunday service isn't just about what we can learn or experience. It's an opportunity to get to know others in this community. And this need for community that we're talking about this morning, it's ingrained to us as human beings, as, a, as God who is relational, right? He created us because he wanted relationship. And because we reflect God's image, we ourselves have a desire, a need for relationship. We see that in who we are as humans. We see that in scripture. And we also see it modeled in Jesus' life. Because Jesus, he prioritized the table in a few ways. One way was for fellowship. 
We can read stories in Scripture of Jesus just simply eating with his family and his friends, enjoying company and relationship with one another. We see times where Jesus taught around the table where he sat down with his disciples to teach them, to train them, to equip them to go and do what he had started. We see Jesus minister around the table. There was a moment where Jesus healed well, the table, a moment where Jesus ate with those who were lost to show them his love. To see this more specifically, if we look at Luke 22 at the Last Supper, when Jesus says that we are to practice communion in remembrance of him, his frame of reference for saying that wasn't just a, a little plastic cup with juice and a little cracker. It was the table. It was meant to be practiced around a meal where the breaking of bread happened and the cup was passed. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul attests to this as he's correcting the Corinthian church on how to partake communion in a healthy way. And once again, when in his mind, it was a meal. It was a place where people gathered together around the table. You see, the centrality of the table was something that not only Jesus embraced, but it was something that his disciples carried out after Jesus left this earth. They understood the importance of community that Jesus ingrained in them. And we see it at the end in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, where we see the beginning of the Christian church being instituted by those same disciples who intentionally established that community at its core. And I'll read to you real quick, Acts 2, 42 through 47, just to illustrate this this morning. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. All came upon everyone because many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. All who believed together and had all things in common, they would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate food with glad and generous hearts praising God and having the goodwill of all people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. This passage shows us that the church was founded upon a few things. Teaching, prayer, but two other big things. Fellowship and the breaking of bread. As verse 46 states, a key component of that was eating together in the home. Or in other words, living together in community. That is what the church is about. It's about us intentionally gathering together to draw life. And that happens on Sunday. And it should be happening throughout the rest of our week together. And so with this understanding of community or why the table is important to us as followers of Jesus... We don't just want it to be something that was important for Jesus. We want it to be central here at K-First, a central part of what we do. But we also want it to be a central part of your lives too. And once again, not to make us look good or to say, you know, we have all these great things that we can offer, but it's because it's what God wants. God works in community. And so we have developed a strategy for tables that we believe will help you to begin to foster healthy relationships inside and out of K-First. And so we would encourage you today to check out our tables. We have tables for every age, gender, interest, phase of life. And we have tables to help you grow stronger. We have tables that are just focused on learning, whether it's diving together in scripture or, or growing healthier physically or whatever it may be. We have tables to grow stronger. We have tables to serve others. 
And we have tables to simply just find community, to have relationship, to hang out with friends, and to enjoy each other's company. And we have this variety of tables for a reason because we recognize that what works for some people doesn't always work for everyone. And so we want to encourage you this morning to consider your passions, consider your interests, consider the phase of life that you are in, and compare that to the tables that we have available this morning because there is something here for you. And if you try something and you're like, yeah, I thought it would work, but it it's not really quite my thing, that's okay. Try something else. And if you still feel like there's something that's just missing, maybe that's God speaking that it's time for you to begin to think about starting something and inviting others to come alongside you in that. And so the key question this morning is who are you drawing life from? And tables, they are a great way to take your next step and drawing life from healthy people inside of this church, because that's why we exist as a community, as a church, is to have develop healthy community that we can depend on, that can encourage one another to walk through life together. And so what we have done this morning is after service, all of our table leaders are going to be available in the back of the worship center. You see the tables in the back of the room. If you're wondering, why were those tables there? Now you know. All of our table leaders are going to be back there to meet you, to share information about their tables, to give you an opportunity to see if it might be a fit for you. And, if, and also want to remind you that you can check out our tables anytime on our website, on the church center app, I'm on the back tables wall back there. They're always available to learn more to see how you can be a part of what's happening here at K-First. And so we want to encourage you this morning once again to consider who are you drawing life from and consider how you may begin to draw life in community here at K-First. That's the question of the day, is who are you drawing life from? The Philistines, as they did to me, I'm going to do to them. Literally, he's living in response to the community he was drawing from, and he lost himself. You and I need others. And so it's time to stop shopping for community. It's time to start building because we need others. Right now, I'm going through a week-long trial. Uh, it sounds very spiritual. It's, it's, I'm trying contacts out. I don't have them on today. Why? Because right now I think they're dumb. I showed up last week, and I was supposed to go through what was called a class, and I showed up as cocky as it gets. I despise cockiness, but that was me. I walk into RX Optical. I'm like, all right, I'll be in and out in five minutes. She shows me what to do. I'm like, okay, give me it. And I put it in. I said, is it in? And she goes, no, it's on your cheek. Yeah. <laughs> An hour later... An hour later, I remember looking at her and saying, I need to apologize to you. I really didn't think I needed it. You, have, you deserve a raise. And she goes, no, 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 no. You've got this in quicker than other people. I'm like, I think you're lying through your teeth. I think you're very, being very kind to me. And I walked out. I said, I just feel very, very humbled by this moment. And she says, it's okay. We all need somebody. You can't do this on your own. When we release you, when Pastor Kevin releases you, walk through the back tables. We've got things as simple as breakfast. I, we do a men's breakfast once, once a month, and we eat bacon, and we listen to Benny tell stories. It's awesome. We've got Bible studies. 
We've got health connections. We've got all sorts of things that are here. And maybe you don't see the type of community that you need. Guess what? It's time to stop searching and it's time to start building. Because you will never be who Jesus wants you to be without the help of others. Guess what? Jesus, when he came, guess what he first did when he stepped into his ministry? He grabbed people around him. Even the Trinity operates in community. Have you thought about that? God's called us to live this. God's called us to be this. And I believe that God is going to transform your life through it. Lord Jesus, Lord, forgive us when we have taken what is our community. And we've set it aside as if it's not something very important. Forgive us for casting aside relationships thinking we can never do this thing on our own. Forgive us for that mentality. We repent of that mentality that says that we don't need people. We don't need friendships. We don't need others. We don't need community. And Lord, I pray that you would open up our eyes to see the necessity. The fact that we need others and others need us. Because we together are the body. You wrote that to the church in Corinth through the, through the Apostle Paul. That you yourselves, you plural, you all together are the body. And the way that we do it is the way that we saw you do it. We just want to gather around a common place, a common theme, a common vision. We just want to gather around a table together and to see what you can do. Lord, for every lonely soul in this church, Lord, I pray that today would be an eye-opening day where they begin to see there's ways to get connected. For every solo-minded individual thinking that they can do it on their own, Lord, I pray for humility in the group that just would simply say that everybody needs somebody. We need you, Lord. Help us, guide us. I pray over great connections, fellowship. I pray, Lord, that you would help create just soul connections today through conversations as we see your kingdom accomplished and your will done. We pray all this in Jesus' name.